You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. And while I am your host, Lawyer Liz, and I am an attorney here in Atlanta, Georgia, Buzz Off is not legal advice. Instead, it is a weekly look at all of the buzz surrounding autonomous vehicles, the Internet of Things, and all the connected technology in between. So welcome, and picking up with some buzz notes that we've had on a couple of prior shows, the big tech powwow is going on in Trump Tower today. So for those who are keeping an eye on where the incoming administration will be going with policy issues when it comes to technology, well, fasten your seatbelt. We're about to start getting some of the first hints of what's going on there. And then additionally, the Amazon has started their drone deliveries. Well, at least one of their test flights uh, happened, I believe it was less than 20 minutes, closer to 15, from click to delivery, as I heard it described. So with that uh, and all of the social media and connected world we live in, one story has started popping up in a couple of different places that caught my eye and sparked what will be hopefully an enjoyable and entertaining, if not educational, discussion today, and that is the looking at who's monitoring your social media and all of your data that comes with that. And on a couple of prior shows, we had talked about when your connected devices rat you out, when the coffee maker and printer and your car's Wi-Fi are more than happy to share with anyone who wants to connect into that data feed uh, what is going on with what you're doing, you run into some issues. And we talked about with a couple of our technology experts different ways to address that and things you can do to minimize the data that is coming out of your devices. Well, about a couple of months ago, started hearing stories of how different law enforcement agencies around the country are looking at ways to pull publicly available information. And from some of the work we heard about with watchdogs and video gaming, that those public fire hoses of information from your tweets to your Facebook posts to Yelp reviews and everything in between, those provide a wealth of information as to location, interest, and law enforcement have started looking at that. So today's guest is Nick Selby, a Dallas area police detective who specializes in crimes such as child pornography that leverage the Internet. And Nick also runs the Cyber Incident Response Division at Secure Ideas. He is the co-author of In Context, Understanding Police Killings of Unarmed Civilians 
from Caliber Press. He's also the co-author of a forthcoming book from Weldon Owen. It's Cyber Survival Manual from Identity Theft to the Digital Apocalypse and Everything in Between, which will be hitting bookstores in May 2017. So needless to say, Nick knows what he's talking about when it comes to both law enforcement and technology. And Nick is joining us on Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. Talk about so, Nick, what is going on? I mean, I'm picturing, first of all, welcome to the show, but I'm picturing all of these poor police detectives and others just having to sit and look at a lot of cat memes. It's a bunch of guys in Banlon suits sitting in a basement looking at looking at the Twitter feeds of cat videos. That's I mean, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's entertaining, I'm sure, but you can only look at so many of the. Uh, what was it from uh, Willy Wonka? You know, sitting there going, "Oh, tell me," and insert whatever joke <laughs> you were, you know. Oh, really? Um, but in these cases, that information is a little more nuanced, and it's a little more helpful than just uh, Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's sometimes, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Um, the The police have been absolutely looking at at social media information uh, since since there has been social media since it started uh, blowing up really with MySpace. Um, my colleague Eric Olson, who is at a company called Cyvalence, uh, he and I were talking about this sort of in the early noughties, and uh, Eric and I came up, he was, we were talking about the problem of fugitives, and uh, Eric first observed that um, the fugitives who are of this generation are really likely to tell you where they are, and we together came up with something that we call the Olson-Selby principle, which is that if your fugitive is under age 30 and has an IQ of 100 or more, he is going to tell you where he is on Facebook in the next 24 hours. And that hasn't and our, really uh, changed. I was going to say, because, I mean, every I feel like every uh, time you look at a crime blotter or, like, stupid criminal stories, there's somebody who robbed a house or you know did something found uh, found a cell phone and posted a and logged into their Facebook exactly yeah. and uh, it's, it's and these things are real <laughs> and they happen oh, all the time and you know it's it's literally um, we, we have cases of this happening every single day um, and people they laugh at it. And I, I'm sort of always taken aback when these stories have been hitting the news forever. I used to maintain a blog just collecting these, um, where we would put out every day, you know, and I had one of a guy saying, you know, ha ha, stupid police, they don't know where I am, they don't know that I'm in Gary, Indiana. And, and <laughs> he got picked up the next day, you know. And, and these things would go on all the time, but all of a sudden people are like, hey, wait a minute, the police are looking at this? And it's like, well, yeah, we we have been, um, and I'll just give you a, a sense of um, a couple of ideas. It's it's not as if the police have been uh, covert about this. So a lot of law enforcement agencies have a Facebook page. 
there has been for about five years something called the Social Media in Law Enforcement Conference. It's called the Smile Conference. Uh, it happens a couple of times a year, and it's just law enforcement agencies from around the world when they talk about how they maintain a presence on social media. And um, I can tell you that I know a lot of uh, police departments that maintain social media just to talk to people who are wanted for, for fugitive warrants. Where, you know, they I was going to say, a, it's not... Yeah, it's not just yeah. uh, the it's not just the community involvement. You want to provide community an opportunity to have feedback, and keep it going on. Yep. But if you can bring someone in on a warrant without causing a news event, I'm sure that's always a goal. It is. That is absolutely always the goal to 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 get fugitives to turn themselves in. Um, and it's funny because I, I used to work for a small city, and and we used to friend people. We'd send them friend requests, and when they accepted them, we'd say, "Okay, please turn yourself in tomorrow between nine and five. And you wouldn't believe how often people would do it. I was going to say, what was the acceptance rate for those? I mean, more. You know, than it was 50%? about about fifty percent. It was about fifty percent. Oh my word. And, and it's uh-huh. <laughs> it's social. Well, um, and I and I so, think it's funny. Well, absolutely. I mean, I I know that you hear stories of employers looking at your prospective employers looking at your social media feeds, and there's always the especially in the light of the recent political elections. You have people making extreme statements one way or the other, and of course, oh, I can't believe you supported this candidate or that position, and next thing you know, they've been fired yeah. for their views, but those are public-facing. I mean, we're not talking about the Apple battle with the FBI to unlock an iPhone. I mean, we're, for today, really, this purpose, we're just talking about publicly-facing information. Yeah, we are. And, and and what is surprising to me, uh, and I think, you know, this conversation started on Twitter, the the, the one that you and I are having mm-hmm. right now. This began on mm-hmm. Twitter when when uh, some, some friends from the ACLU and the Brennan Center and I were having conversations. And um, the position of the ACLU is that the police should not be monitoring social media because they consider that to be suspicionless surveillance. And I... I am a member of the of the EFF. I, I used to be a member of the ACLU. I'm not anymore just because I have some... We, we, we split on some things. I, I am a civil libertarian, um, and I, I do believe in, in many of the causes that ACLU fights for. But this one, on this one, we really are, are we of a different opinion. I think that um, when we are talking about publicly facing social media posts that are made by... Uh, Americans or, or anybody, but you know, we're talking about in the United States. When uh, if you put something on on Twitter or a public post on Facebook, I don't believe that you have an expectation of privacy, and that is in fact what is being controversially discussed right now. That that people are saying that the cops shouldn't be looking at it, and I think that's really the basis of of what we're here to talk about today. Like, should the police be using tools? To examine in uh, in a volume, you know, in, in in an automated way, the posts of people that are posted publicly to social media, and I say that yeah, we should be able to do that. 
Well, because it brings up several. I mean, you have the constant, you know, is it a search? Is it, you know, reasonable suspicion? You know, there is no threshold for it. It's just broad blanket monitoring. And it certainly, uh, I mean, because, Nick, you are not one to shy away from an, a full debate on Twitter or other things, I mean, and really support your cause, but exactly, that's it. All of these issues come up from just what video games or other companies, other you know, marketers and other providers are already doing, that anyone with yeah. a connection. And so it, certainly from a law enforcement standpoint, that that's the intention of the debate or discussion today, not really a debate, but just finding out exactly where law enforcement, what tools can be disclosed publicly, you know, what is out there and what that information is being used for. And if you want to change that, what are some guidelines or advice for doing so? So it, you have succinctly kind of outlined that, Nick, I thank you. And we're about to jump in uh, shortly to our first commercial break, but before we do so, Nick, I mean, are you, as a citizen, you're active on social media. Are there any accounts that you don't have or don't want to use? Um, wait, I'm sorry. I don't quite understand. You mean, do I have covert <laughs> accounts that I use? No, 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 no. But, I mean, locking down uh, your accounts or account settings to private. And so we'll be right back and pick up oh, okay. that with America's Web Radio, you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and hopefully join us right back after that, after this commercial break. Merry Christmas from all of us at America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and chatting today with law enforcement uh, and technology expert Nick Selby. And Nick, right before the break, we were talking about in the broader discussions, law enforcement is watching your social media, and that hopefully is not a surprise to anyone listening to the show, but more of a surprise to some is that they're utilizing software and other programs that automate some of this monitoring. And kind of before the break, you're active on social media. Are you, any of your Twitter, is your Twitter account, your Facebook, you, are they private accounts or Pretty much anyone can see your feed, comment on your feed, and engage you on such you know, platforms. So yeah, my um, my Twitter is is public, and I'm N Selby. Um, my Facebook is the, the profile's public. Most of my uh, posts on Facebook are friends only. Uh, I do have. Uh, a small number of posts that I will make public on Facebook, and those typically are um, things that are uh, either public service or uh, charity, uh, some kind of uh, you know some kind of uh, public event or uh, raising awareness for something. Uh, but typically, the the posts that I put on Facebook are going to be limited to my friends only. Um, people can uh, message me. And I make you know a limited amount of of my profile available for uh, for the general public to be able to get in touch. If they don't know me, they can send me friend requests, etc. Uh, and on on Twitter, it's pretty much wide open. Um, I I will typically engage with people on Twitter until they call me names or or they're mean to me. Um, and you know, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I'm uh, generally I'll I'll mix it up with stuff. pretty much anybody. Sorry. That's like the usual stuff. I mean, until someone yeah. starts using language, perhaps that would you know embarrass a sailor. Uh, yeah, it's all fair game. Yeah, and I'm used. You know, I, I actually have a pretty good record with with having decent and respectful debate and and arguments with people, and then not everybody storming off in a huff and taking their ball and going home. Um, you know, it's the rare person I have to block. I think I've blocked maybe seven people since I've been on since 2008 or something. Well, is that the same kind of policy? Because we were chatting before, and one of the most entertaining uh, posts that I brought up on last week's show was, and I'm going to forget, I believe it was the Owen Police Department, said, if you answer yes to all of these questions, (laughs) please contact us. And it's, you know, file away under one, if you're going to use drones for nefarious purposes, know how they work. Know yeah. when you're taking a picture of your own self on your <laughs> feed, and when you lose it, you're not going to be able to wipe that card very easily. Uh, yeah. It, it, that's not to say someone could figure out how to do it, but... Such humorous kind of uses of social media aren't the only accounts that uh, all law enforcement agencies have. You mentioned that there are some non-public facing some sort of covert accounts. What types of accounts would those 
see. I mean, are they the spear fish, not spear fishing, but, you know, the, to catch a predator type accounts, or are they, is it a little more involved than that? Yeah, they're, they're more involved than that. And, and those, the, the covert accounts that are managed by law enforcement are, they're, those are actually not the ones that tend to be controversial. Those are actually driven by policy. They're governed by, by policy. They are um, typically uh, driven by a specific investigation against a specific person or persons uh, for a, specific, a, a very specific crime that is known. And um, so they, they follow very specific guidelines. Um, and the, the, the privacy and the the privacy community, the civil liberties communities, they are, you know, they've been pretty understanding about the need for those things. Um, and, you know, as somebody who works on, uh, you know, investigations into child exploitation, um, I'm familiar with how those things are, are operating. And I, I think that everybody who looks at the realities of law enforcement understands those. I think that the, the real controversies have come from uh, what is generally looked at by the civil liberties and privacy communities as suspicionless monitoring or mass surveillance of social media. And I think there are some, some technical misunderstandings of how law enforcement is doing this. I also think that uh, these are similar to the technical uh, misunderstandings or disagreements, actually, about uh, the realities of uh, mass surveillance versus mass collection, which sounds like semantics, but um, has a real difference in the way we actually do business as law enforcement. Um, and I'll well, give you an idea of what I... Go ahead. Exactly. I was going to say, I mean, the devil's always in the details that yeah. a comma, a misplaced comma can sink an entire, you know, contract, agreement, deal, piece of legislation. Sure. And so similarly, the semant- semantics matter here, at least. Oh, uh, absolutely. So what are some examples? Well, you know, and as you opened up this segment, what you said was that the police are looking at your social media account. And the answer to that is kind of, sort of. Um, what, what's, what's really happening is, is that there are certain tools that are available. And uh, Twitter as a – so Twitter, when it, when it came out, made available something that it called the fire hose. Um, Twitter uh, puts out the, the cacophony of all the tweets that it, that it processes from every person tweeting in the world um, at any given moment. You know, if you think about your Twitter feed uh, is comprised of all the people you follow and all the people who follow you talking back and forth, if you think about all of the, what, 500 million people in the world who have Twitter speaking to one another at the same time, that's the fire hose. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of Twitter, Twitter as Twitter sees it. Uh, Twitter made that available. It used to be through a third party called Gnip. Now they do it themselves. Um, Twitter made that available to anybody who'd be willing to pay. It was pretty much, you know, about four or five thousand dollars a month. You could have the, the fire hose, and the people who bought that tended to be data aggregators and mainly marketing people, uh, people who wanted to understand things like sentiment and what people were talking about, and cops. Um, over the past couple of years, Twitter has changed its policies gradually, and now suddenly they've just said, "Okay, no more cops buying the fire hose." Um, and that's really when this came to light, because when they changed their policy, a lot of people were like, wait a minute, cops had the fire hose, and they started looking into this. Um, when, cops were buying the, when cops were buying access to the fire hose, what they were really buying were, was access to a tool 
that would suck in the entirety of the fire hose and allow them to search like one would through Google for certain phrases, certain keywords, and certain patterns within that noise and find the tweets that were involved uh, that had the patterns that they were looking for. So, for example, if I only wanted to see out of all the tweets, you know, if there were 500 million tweets in the last 45 seconds, and I only wanted to see the tweets that mentioned the word loft, I would go from 500 million tweets down to 3,000. So at that point, am I... Does it build in for variations of spelling, stuff like that? Because Lord knows uh, we all need spell check most days. Oh, yeah. Especially fat fingers. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's very comp- it's very uh, sophisticated uh, search. It, it lets you do regular expressions. It lets you do if, then, else, or not, and you know fuzzy matching and all sorts of really cool things. But generally speaking, you know you would think that if cops are doing counter terror, they'd be looking for you know I want to bomb New York City at four p.m. things like that, and it would only show you the tweets that had those phrases of interest. So, I mean, the question that I would ask you is, does a reasonable person think that I'm really looking at all the tweets in the world, or am I really only looking at the 300 tweets that have the search phrases that I am actually looking at? And so I consider that to be a mass collection, but I'm really only surveilling the tweets and looking at the tweets that contain the things that I'm specifically interested in, because those are the only tweets that I'm actually really looking at. The rest of them are really being uh, stored and then thrown away, and that is basically a product of the storage facility of the product that I'm using, how much money I have for storage, and that that can be governed by policy and transparency. It's kind of a different uh, kettle of fish. If really what we're worried about is the mass surveillance, I think what it comes down to is the question that I just said. Now, it's not nothing. It really isn't nothing. What I'm saying is actually a very important thing to discuss. But I think that what I just said is different from the way it's being phrased when I hear that the police are looking at every tweet in the world. They're really not. They're really only looking at the tweets. They're looking for content in all the tweets uh, in the world, but they're only really only looking at a very select few tweets. Well, and it raises the you know, narrow or actually broader question if you don't want it to be heard, don't say it. Uh, well, that's but, of course that that's the basis of, of my fundamental objection to this being <laughs> looked at as objectionable. Which is that I mean, it you are posting this on social media; it is a public forum. Now, do, do some of these same uh, access? You know, you hear that Google, uh, Gmail is going through and scanning your emails for purposes of marketing and they you know, have those kind of uh, scanning and surveillance. But where we're today, it, it, what you're hearing more about in the news are those, uh, basically those uh, social media accounts. So it's not my private messages, but is that, part of the scanning now? Is, is it my messages between to someone else on Twitter? So you mean the direct messages and private messages? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, uh, in, in my them. understanding, right. yeah, in my understanding, I've never had access to private messages um, in any of the any of the products that I've ever seen. It's only been publicly available tweets. Um, uh, whenever I I have well, used access to private messages, I've had to get a search warrant. Um, and well, and, and that, that's not that raises that raises that next issue of when is that search warrant required? So we will pick that up right after this break. I'll buzz sure. off with Lawyer List. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Coming to you live each Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern, or follow us on uh, iTunes, other podcast streaming, look for Lawyer Liz. And today we're talking with Nick Selby, who is a law enforcement and technology expert, and we were discussing, or we're looking at the recent public announcement of different local law enforcement and other law enforcement agencies, you basically looking at all of your social media. So one, that that in itself should not be a surprise that if you are posting it online, not only 
are marketers and intended recipients hearing your messages, but hackers, uh, depending on which news story you listen to, the Chinese or the Russians or somebody else is listening to it, but also, if it's public, law enforcement as well. And, Nick, we were talking before the distinction between just because we're seeing it or have access to it doesn't mean anyone's actually paying attention to it, that you're fil- there are filters kind of siphoning through some of the some of the noise as well as the typical uh, constitutional protections of a warrant required if it's a private message under set guidelines. And you were well, yeah, a little bit aspect of it. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, so I can just, uh, and I did not mean to um, uh, sort of imply that the that there is there is a capability. Uh, just because nobody's listening doesn't mean that it is not an issue. Um, you know, the fact that law enforcement has the ability to ask questions of the public feed, uh, the fact that they don't ask questions doesn't really. Uh, make it not a problem, right? I mean, uh, I believe that it's, it's, it's not unreasonable for the civil liberties and privacy community to ask questions about the way law enforcement is surveilling public feeds of social media. Um, I just happen to believe that if you're posting something on, on public social media like Twitter uh, or, or a public Instagram feed or a public Facebook feed, that, that, that you're posting it publicly and that, that it is fair game for observation for anyone, and I am making the observation that the police are not, in fact, interested in your mom's, uh, you know, a photograph of your mom's birdhouse. They're interested in highly specific things. Uh, you know, for example, gangs typically tend to communicate over social media, and they communicate rather openly about plans for where they're going to meet, and so law enforcement tends to look for conversations about uh, plans of, of, of criminal activity. And, and if you're going to do that publicly, I mean, I, I kind of think that that's your own problem. Uh, and I don't really have a, a civil liberties problem if, uh, if people are going to plan criminal activities uh, in the open. That I, I think, of course, the police have every responsibility to listen to it and to respond accordingly. Um, I think that now, how long is it? Well, and how long is that information kept so that you're hearing, if we're viewing it as someone standing on their front porch and shouting out to the street, hey, I'm having pancakes for breakfast, and I'm holding up a picture of the pancakes that I just had <laughs> at my breakfast. So for you, Right, what's my data retention policy for that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know... That's that's a great question, um, and I think that, that that the data retention policies is a is a very important question to ask. And, and right now, the answer to that question varies agency to agency, um, and I think that it also varies whether a case has been filed or not. Um, but well, it's not, exactly, it's not I know from the, well, and from the drone perspective, being one of my areas of expertise, you have from a federal. Looking down, the White House did issue some executive orders, uh, I say recently, within the last couple of years, that require if information collected by federal agencies or 
local law enforcement that's using federal federally funded uh, drones or other equipment. They have to, you know, if it's not part of an active investigation, it has to be scrubbed within, I believe it's 90 days. It can only be you know, accessed. And they have some limitations, but you don't get that same uh, policy. Policy hasn't necessarily been crafted for, at the local level unless they put right. it upon themselves uh, either through the state or the, to do that. Are there similar okay. policies for other social media accounts, or do you have to look to the broader how is it collected and where it is? It, right now, that's a dog's dinner. Um, and, and this kind of data retention uh, covers the gamut, uh, especially when it comes to other technologies that are being adopted rapidly right now, especially including uh, body cam video, dash cam video, and automated license plate readers. Uh, these are and these are very contentious and very controversial policies. Um, you know, there are, there are, you know, once again, I have uh, really, you know, I, I tend to agree with ACLU about uh, the retention of, of automated license plate reader data uh, on a mass scale uh, when it's not related to an investigation. I disagree entirely with ACLU on uh, the retention of body camera video and dash cam video because, you know, we're, we're talking about... Uh, it's sort of like uh, throwing away uh, when when do you throw away DNA from a case uh, of of a rape uh, when we see when we see people now being released from prison uh, because they've been they, they have been uh, proved to be innocent because DNA was dug up after thirty years that that shows that they were innocent. We we have exactly the same situation right now with with video and the ACLU wants to throw away video. That's that's crazy. We we when we have uh when we have statutes of limitation that are measured in years or forever, we cannot throw away video. Um and so so each one of these issues brings up huge and very very meaningful consequences and uh it's not to be taken lightly. So, so when we say, you know, you should only hold on to X kind of information for Y days, weeks, months, or years, there's a long tail that, that has to be considered. And I don't think that um, it's something that can just be done very simply. I think that we really have to consider workflow and uh, possible unintended consequences. Um, but it's a well, great question a, about retention. A, there's additional analysis of how is it cataloged. You know, just because you have a video, and that's part of the... Uh, concerns, particularly with drones, is they're not just capturing the you know, photographic or video imagery. They're also collecting other data points as part of the flight telemetry and yes. locational uh, data and information of what else is in that vicinity. So when you're talking about the license plate readers, it's not just you know, narrowly tailored to just these license plates or the body cams. It's not, well, we're going to focus on this and blur everything else around it out. It's whatever that camera picked up and other data points. I mean, how, are, how is this information cataloged for those who may not be familiar? Yeah, and that, and that well, <laughs> the, metadata, the metadata problem is big, and the metadata problem is uh, almost... It's almost more complicated than, than the problem of the data itself, especially when it comes to social media. Um, 
And I, I think there is also another area of, of sort of widespread deltas between uh, perception and reality. I think that the perception of location data with social media is uh, is really misunderstood. I think that um, the the uh, the common idea that uh, that tweets have location data uh, is is at the very least uh, under uh, or misunderstood. Uh, it's it's not anywhere near as simple as that, um, and that m- most I think it's fewer than one percent of tweets actually have their their location turned on uh, and stamped as part of the as part of the tweet itself. There's other ways of doing inferential analysis that can be stamped on it, um, but you know pe- people think that they're trapping your exact location, and that's really not quite the case. Um, well, as one but, but yes, you're right. Get it. Go ahead. Yes. You have the technical knowledge and background to be able to, to quote-unquote, get it. You understand how much of a learning curve is it, even explaining to fellow law enforcement officials and officers that all is not what it seems or there are limitations. I mean, if I watch, uh, was it? SVU Law and Order, or (laughs) you should be able to zoom in and see the hair out of place on my head, regardless of the quality of the equipment used to capture the footage. I've written about this. There's on my blog, which is nselby.github.io. There is a there's a couple of blog posts on what I call the Starsky and Hutch effect, Um, and that is there's a there's a a real. feeling because all of us in the United States have grown up on police shows and police movies and we really feel that we understand how policing is done where in fact we understand how policing is done on police shows um, and but we have this certain how many how many times have you slid across the hood of your patrol car come on admit it <laughs> well you know I do it because I'm awesome but I know a lot of cops don't. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's true that, that we get a lot of our understanding from television, and television really does make up most of it. But it isn't really a question of, of law enforcement not understanding. I think, I think it's mainly a question of people making presumptions about how law enforcement do their job and how law enforcement um, work with the data that they have. Um, and, and that's a real problem uh, in, in perception that, always has to be walked back whenever we have these kinds of conversa- conversations. We, we had started a little bit earlier about when do we need a warrant, and I think that that's important. The, when we're looking at things that are public, I think that, you know, me as a police officer, uh, just like the, the, the 22-year-old Tufts graduate who is a junior marketing executive who's looking at sentiment analysis for PepsiCo by looking at tweets that are coming out of Belgium, uh, that, that are related to soft drinks and lifestyle, we need the same authority to look at these tweets, which is none. We can just look at what people are saying, and that's because people are telling us how they feel, and they're doing it on Twitter. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, and we appreciate it equally. Um, where we start to get into needing authority is when I start to develop suspicion, and that suspicion leads me to believe that somebody is involved in a crime. And at that point, if I want to start to get more information, I have to go beyond suspicion, and I have to develop probable cause, because I'm not going to get a hold of anything more than public information unless I am able to articulate probable cause to the extent that I can convince a judge 
through a, an application for a search warrant and an affidavit uh, of you know my statement of probable cause that I have probable cause to believe that a crime was committed by this person and that I will find evidence in private messages within that social media account. And the, the bar is rather high. Um, and once I do that and I go and I, and so now we have judicial oversight, which is, so now we have transparency, we have oversight, and I'm able to convince a judge to sign this search warrant. Uh, that search warrant in the state of Texas where I work becomes public record after it's executed. So now we have well, public oversight. Well, I was going to say, and now, so, well. I mean, that's pretty high, that's a pretty high bar I have. No, you do, so, and let's, we'll talk about the, uh, kind of what you do with that bar after this commercial break on America's Web Radio. Great. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Talking today with Nick Selby, who is both in law enforcement as well as a technology uh, expert and consultant, and looking at what law enforcement can do, should do, and is doing with social media information in both the public and the private, what is not necessarily, you know, the direct messages, stuff like that. And Nick was outlining for us, and thank you again, Nick, for joining the show today, and Sharing your thoughts, and again, just as I am not giving legal advice, Nick is speaking for none other than just himself and his thoughts and ideas. But oh, yeah, I'm certainly not speaking for my agency. <laughs> no, no, for better or worse. Uh, and you were explaining to the the listeners a little bit of what you go through on the expectations and the you know probable cause on whether where the suspicion is raised, you see something online, kind of the judicial process you have to go to request the ability and permission to go a little bit further 
in what you're looking at and review and outlining that process. Sure. So um, once, once I get suspicion about a certain person, um, that's when I need to start developing probable cause. And I, I would move from a, a sort of a general, a general look uh, into sort of a, a bunch of people into a more specific look at, a, at an individual or a group of individuals. And that's when I would start to try to build a case against, uh, against someone or some group of people. And I would need to start to put together something that would give me probable cause to believe that, that this person's social media account would contain uh, the information that I sought, and you know, it's it's not a low bar. It's it's I would have to be you know really reasonably sure um, that that the it can't be a fishing expedition. I can't just say, uh, well, in my training and experience, usually people who do bad things talk about it on Facebook in their private messages. I have to have a very good idea that that person used that account to to have specific conversations about that specific criminal activity. And, you know, I, I can develop that uh, understanding of that in a number of different ways that I don't really want to talk about. No, and, and certainly, and one of the things that we've highlighted on this show before in talking about what data is out there and, it, and kind of getting into attribution and one of the issues that other, you know, in other contexts we run into is what happens when, you know, how, how reliable is it? Because data can be manipulated, and it's not always, sure. that, like, location accuracy is not always on point. It can be spoofed, or you can't really tell humor or sarcasm unless someone is kind enough to put in, you know, uh, bracket sarcasm idiots right. and brackets a. How is that kind of filtered through, and has that caused a problem, or how is that being addressed? Well, I mean, you know, typically, once once we would get to the point where we have probable cause and we get a judge to sign uh, the warrant, and I was mentioning before that, you know, once once that warrant is signed, as soon as we execute it, um, it becomes public record. So now the public can see it. So they can put in a, a you know, a... a uh, uh, a records request, and then, then they can see my probable cause. We would then submit that to the social media company. The social media company provides the information, and now we can read it. So now we would see if that gives us the evidence that uh, that we had expected to see. And if it does, and we see things, you know, now's the time that we would probably start to have a conversation with the person. Um, and, you know, you know somebody's the, being the information sar- sarcastic. <laughs> Sorry? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Well, so the information that you collect once you have that warrant, is all of that information then public record, or are there protections to, hey, we think we're going to get some stuff here. We don't need their bikini shots, you know, pictures, if it's part of it, if it's not connected in any way to the investigation. Like, that doesn't need to go into that open record. Or is it... Open season. Well, it depends. I mean, if it's a child, if it's a, you know, if it's a child exploitation case, <laughs> and I see pictures of yeah. no, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's what I do. Yeah. You know, if I do see, yeah, if exactly. I see small children in bikinis, that, and that's kind of the the context of this all. If it, if it is a child uh, a child exploitation case, and I do see kids in 
you know, in states of undress, then that is important. If it's not something like that, if it's a fraud case, and I see, uh, you know, a picture of their, of their kid, even, even their kid in a bathtub naked, and I don't see any evidence of abuse, then it's not something that would be relevant to the investigation. We would just ignore it. Um, and, and so it really depends on the kind of investigation that would, you know, be included or not included, as the case may be. Um, typically, we're looking, so a lot of times this would happen in a fraud investigation, where a lot of a lot of social media uh, a lot of times social media gets used in fraud and uh, there's a there's a guy in our agency who who specializes in this fraudsters use facebook and uh and other social networks to perpetrate fraud what they're doing is they're they're selling fake goods they're giving great deals on cars and uh and high end uh consumer goods and they're selling them for impossibly low prices and they make contact through Facebook private messages and they're getting paid through you know different online uh, uh, online sources and they they're doing all of their communication through private messages on Facebook so now we've got all of their victims and we've got all of the the contact information so now we can do victim notification and we can build a case just through their private messages it's very very useful um, and, you know, people don't typically think of Facebook when they think of fraud, but, but wow, is it a, a very common platform for fraud. Well, and I, being some of the things that my law firm does and some of the cases we're handling on the litigation side, we are looking at, you know, oh, if you're injured and claiming, you know, workers comp or some other disability and then show put pictures on your Facebook account of you skiing, we will use that. Yeah. Uh, and so now it. But you wouldn't be able to. Typically, that, you wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to no, get that unless it was a criminal case. It, we would only be able to get that if it was publicly facing. You have there exactly. are no privacy protection settings. We did not uh, you know, lie to become a friend. You. Know, uh, that kind of thing. But is there a presumption that all that information is correct, or how difficult is it to overcome of, well, ma'am, we saw your tweet post at this time to say, well, I, I don't know what happened. That I didn't post it. I posted it an hour, or I automated it. Do you all know, filter through or have some checks for that kind of data and information? <laughs> well, typically, no, because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing, which is one of the other things that I find very funny when people seem to think of a of a um, uh, CSI type operation. Um, you know, the, the the typical budget of a of a law enforcement agency in the United States is somewhere south of the dog catcher, um, and our, you know, usually our computers are laughable, and this is. You know, it's, I'm not trying to say, "Oh, poor me," but I am saying that the reality of the of the situation is is that law enforcement typically does not have the financial resources to invest in the kinds of tools that would allow us to have the the capability to differentiate into nuance like that. Um, you know, most well, of the work that we've done. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, it puts in a plug for you. Know, on the defense side that, you know, to the extent law enforcement has all of these new tools or not, but is utilizing different tools, that it does, you know, some evaluation needs to be given for those budgets on the public defender side is where you may lose or how difficult it would be to overcome a presumption 
there that this is accurate and correct, that both budgets need to be evaluated, perhaps. I, well, I think, at, at per, you know, um, I, I kind of raise eyebrows when I say this, but I think that the one of the, the biggest injustices that our country has is the, the budgets of public defender's offices, which are criminally low, and that they, they simply have to be raised at least to the level of prosecution. Our public defenders are a, an absolutely necessary civil right, and we do such a terrible job, and the only way, reason that our system creaks along is because of the dedicated men, men and women who provide that valuable service, and it's embarrassing to me that we work in a system that is so shamefully underfunded. Well, and I uh, apologize for not tipping my hat to you earlier in the show and thanking you and everyone else who is uh, on the front line, so to speak, providing these services that y'all certainly take on. Uh, there is a big ask that we as a community put place on you. So thank you for doing that. And similarly, you know, and thank you to those who defend and to the EFF and the ACLU and those who answer well, similar big ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's uh, on all sides. We're we're giving y'all a lot of responsibility and not necessarily. Well, we like we like responsibility in the funding. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. that's true. It's an unfunded mandate, but that's it. cool. <laughs> that's the yes, that is the job, and it's you know, and and the people the people I work with are are absolutely amazing in the sense that they do it, and and. Um, I think that we often forget just how we, we kind of forget to give people the benefit of the doubt because nobody nobody who does this job is in it for the money, um, and and a lot of times we end up sort of thinking that the other side is is evil and horrible, but you know they're not. They're just doing their job, and um, it, it's it's really tough, especially when it comes down to to issues around government surveillance, especially in this post-Snowden world where it's kind of difficult to take anybody at their word, um, it's very difficult, especially if it comes down to an issue of, you know, automated mass surveillance of digital signals. It's like, <laughs> and you want me to believe what? Um, the, the, I think we just have to be discerning as consumers uh, and, and really look carefully at what we're being asked to believe. Do we believe that... Uh, do we believe that it is a an invasion of our privacy that when we post something publicly online that it is an invasion of our privacy that the that law enforcement might consider that tweet as part of uh, you know one of uh, a half a billion tweets that they look at today in a search for posts about terror or human trafficking and I personally don't think that it's too much uh, for me as a societal cost to have that happen. People disagree with me. Well, and that's part of what makes the social media world so entertaining is when you can have yes, those discussions. But understanding that just as you're going to mock someone for their typo, it is held against you that it is held against you in so many other contexts. So, Nick, thank you again for sharing your thoughts and time today. And uh, how can folks find, when should folks look for your book? Uh, well, in context is at Amazon now. Uh, in context, understanding police killings of unarmed civilians, um, and the new book, uh, the Cyber Survival Guide, comes out in May, and it's also available on uh, on Amazon now. Um, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. No, it's been a pleasure, and you can catch a replay of the show on 
iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, any of the others. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Radio, America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. Thanks to America's Web Radio and my law firm. And thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll catch you next week. This is America's Web Radio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.